Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kavorik, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space. So you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. Welcome back to episode 86 of Discover Ag. Discover Ag is brought to you in part by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and to even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. And take 17. (laughs) You guys, it has been a morning. It has. If you are watching this on YouTube, you will notice that we're using one mic. I've had serious mic issues and I feel like it's just snowballed of a mess from there. Yeah, there's still like a warning right now on our video. (laughs) I don't know what it means. Like, (laughs) we're going to roll with it. We're powering through, though, to bring you guys this episode. And the most important thing is Tara's wearing a hat. We're on day three of Tara wearing a cowgirl hat. I feel like I'm like coming into my own with it a little bit. Like I'm, I'm feeling myself now. I know you were so self-conscious about it. And I've told you so many times you can rock a cowgirl hat. You look beautiful in it. Last night at dinner, you looked great. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I feel like I just look very like all hat and no cattle. That's what I said <laughs> in my stories. And I feel like it's still true. I do think I haven't called out on the internet already. It is my mom's hat. Everything cool I own, I owe to my mother. Don't even <laughs> get me started. You're you this weekend, along with the hat, you rocked a pair of your mother's old Lucchese boots. And I am legit dying inside that I cannot wear them because you guys have tiny, tiny feet. I know the reason I got them that my, I don't know why my mom's like feet grew, but they did. I don't, is that like something that happens? But she grew out of them and I got, I inherited two pairs of like vintage boots and this beautiful Stetson. I thought about trying them on for dinner the other night. And all I could think about was that image of Cinderella when the stepsister tries to shove her big <laughs> fat foot into the glass slipper and it's like popping out and off. And I was like, that would, and I don't even have that big of feet. I wear seven and a half. You guys are just tiny, tiny humans, but man, they're beautiful. Like I wish I had access to your mother's closet. I mean, I wanted to wear your blue cowboy boots this weekend and I tried them on and it was like, my foot was just like sloshing around in the inside of the boot. I was like, I could shove a sock down in the front and then wear them maybe. And I was like trying to figure out how to wear them. You're not making me feel any better <laughs> about the size of my You have right normal now. sized feet. I'm a five. So, so you guys, the reason we're together sharing a mic, wearing cowgirl hats and talking about all this is because we're coming live to you guys from Austin, Texas. I know it's been like, this is our first time here and it's been such a fun weekend. Yeah. It's a really cool city. So we're down here for a podcasting conference. We wanted to up our podcasting game for you guys. And so we flew in Friday, uh, went to dinner, hung out and then did the conference all day Saturday and then, um, get to explore the city again today, which I'm excited about. Cause like you said, neither of us have been here before. I feel like our weekend has consisted mainly of food, like figuring out what food venues we're going to go to. That's because I'm with you, Tara. (laughs) Last night's dinner, though, it was a recommendation from a lot of of our discos, and it hit. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. We, as always, we shared a couple handful of different courses. But fun fact about Tara, you guys, when you share food with her, you have to literally keep one eye on your plate and one eye on her plate because she forgets to share. And she just like goes through the whole meal. Like it was her plate from the start. And it was like, we entered this ordering process together, 50, 50 splitting these plates. And you just took it over. You need to like eat faster. I don't know. 
<laughs> I already have one eye on my plate, one eye on yours, and I'm trying to balance eating the one I'm enjoying with the one you're mowing down. It was – the last night's was so good. I just could not stop. I literally looked down and you were like, Tara, we're supposed to share. And there was like one piece of the bread left. It was this it. bruschetta. It was phenomenal. It was amazing. Oh, so don't share with me anymore. I don't <laughs> – don't no, do that. Don't do that. I love sharing. Okay. So I'm the youngest of four girls. I have three older sisters. And so sharing is like ingrained into me. You learned this really early on in our friendship. I was like the first thing, the very first time I stayed with you, I was like, you are so clearly a younger sister and I'm so clearly the oldest sister. I just have that mentality of what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. Uh, it's two way though. Like you could have picked out of my suitcase and it wouldn't have bothered me either. But yes, I am very quickly like a, we share everything. That's just how it goes. I agree. I'm wearing your lips gloss right now like you you're generous yeah get off my back <laughs> I'm the last thing I'm gonna say about the food situation is we ordered a dessert that had three donuts and one of us got two donuts and one of us got one donut and it was not me getting two donuts so I feel like that's a great time to transition out of this conversation <laughs> okay, let's get started into our first uh sponsor which actually speaking of cowboy hats that are cool and cowboy boots that are cool uh, today, we're highlighting our Australian Western wear brand, Ringers Western. So they're one of our favorites. I have titled them the epitome of country cool. So I personally ordered from them a few months ago. It was actually during winter. And so I kind of did like a winter haul for the ranch. And then I just placed a spring order and kind of got my spring haul. And I loved it. I did a try on stories and kind of walked through things. But I'm going to do a reel too, I think, for everyone. Um, but I got a ton of really cute button-up work shirts that are short sleeve and tank, which I feel like is very... Australian chic and done more there than um, in the US. And the cool thing about the shirts is they're SPF 50, which I didn't know when I was placing the order, but they came and I saw the tag and I was like, this is so cool because obviously you're going to be wearing them outside a ton. Um, I also placed workout clothes, which I mean, you guys, they have everything. And I did a really cool haul of graphic tees too. Their quality is second to none. And I love that I can not only source practical clothing for the ranch, but also fun, cute items for off the ranch too. As I mentioned, they're an Australian brand, but they do have a US website. So it makes it really, really easy to shop from. You can find them at us.ringerswestern.com and be sure to use our special code discover to save you 20%. That is us.ringerswestern.com and code discover, both of which are in our show notes. All right. Diving into title number one, beef tallow skincare trend concerning docs. Not really the best move over moisturizer. This rich alternative has the internet saying, holy cow. <laughs> There's so many puns in this article. <laughs> okay. Why don't you give us a rundown about what this article is about? Okay, so I feel like at its core, what is happening is there is a bunch of like social media influencers, beauty influencers sharing about how they're using tallow, aka beef fat. And reading this article, to me, there are people that are upset about it. You know, want to know who's upset about it? The doctors that are trying to sell you some super expensive moisturizer. And they're like, we don't know anything about tallow or beef fat. It needs to be researched like by our product. So I actually looked up the skincare market because we're all aware of how big it is. But when you see numbers, it's kind of crazy. It's projected to grow from 100 point billion uh, to 145.8 billion in 2028. So there's growth in it. I mean, I don't know if everyone's seen, but skincare, I mean, they're the makeup brands that are like, they're sending their influencers to like Dubai, like Target, you know, like there is money in skincare and makeup. It's insane. Right. So why would people be happy about a very inexpensive product. You can make it at home. I think people were sharing about that. Yeah. People that are making money off of it aren't going to be thrilled. Yeah. So at it, very simple, um, 
I guess, definition. Beef tallow, as you mentioned, is like the fatty cuts of cow meat. And then you heat them up and then you cook it down and you filter it into this liquid that solidifies to a solid, essentially. And speaking of doing at home, I have done it. I've actually rendered, I get fat from our local processor and I render it down so that I can use it for cooking oils. Like it is the most pure, simple process, which is hilarious because this article was actually quoting about how it's um, not clean and... Um, what were the other quotes they were using with it? While you're looking for that, I love your like casual flex. Like I make my own beef tallow. <laughs> I'm so granola. <laughs> it's just casual flex. So the quote, not to override my subtle <laughs> flex, but he, the, they interviewed one of a dermatologist and he said that consumers tend to skew towards clean and cruelty free products. And that is not um, essentially to him what tallow is. And I'm like, there's just such a disconnect between I don't know, agriculture, the animal industry. Yeah, like what's more clean in beauty products than beef towel that we've been using for centuries? I hate using the word natural, but like how is it not natural? Like at its core, it's one of the most natural things. Like there is no combination of things. Like I feel like a lot of the doctors, of course, were pushing like plant-based oils and different things as like moisturizers. And it's just, this is just so simple at its core. So one of the interesting thing about the articles too was they were talking about how the TikTok tag hashtag beef tallow skincare has scored over 11 million views on the app. Um, and that's kind of what is the, all this excitement was is stemming from. And what I thought was really cool is like, that's obviously a very large amount of social shares. But when you dive into that hashtag, cause you and I were like, oh, did someone pop off? Like, did it go viral from one really big beauty influencer? Like, where is this coming from? And the cool thing is, is it's actually a ton of smaller TikTok accounts that are yeah. just sharing about it that, it that you know, it's like small numbers are making up that 11 million total. And I think that's really cool to show that there's obviously like none, not money behind it. There wasn't like a, well, I mean, there really isn't even a huge tallow, not that I know of company to push it or support it anyway. It's just like this organic grassroots movement of beef tallow, which I think is really awesome. It does make me wonder though, like what the beauty industry will do with this. There, somebody's going to want, like, if this keeps popping off, people are going to want to make money off of it. So are, how are they going to take it, twist it, change it, put a big hefty, you know, price tag on it and make it at its core, like different than what it is. Do you know? Like, I think people love it for its simplicity. And I'm just, I don't know, just knowing the beauty market. I'm just curious how someone will take it and really market it and be like, you know, sell it as like whatever it is. Yeah, because I mean, we we actually used um, tallow for. So I mentioned I use it for cooking, <laughs> subtle flags. <laughs> um, but we got sent a product from a company that actually uses it from pig, pig lard. Faro is the company, and we really liked using it. But a lot of the companies out there right now are really small ones, like this, you know, this this farm that sent it to us essentially. Yeah, um, I have been actually kind of gatekeeping. I've been using a whipped. Uh, oh, beef tallow, interesting. and I really love it. It smells amazing. A lot of the comments kept asking if it, um, if it smelled like beef, which I was like, "What does beef smell like?" But no, it smells like I feel like all the them, all the lards, all the tallows I've used smell incredible, like spa grade, like amazing. Because of the essential oils, like I, I think that's the only added ingredient. Why would someone not want to walk around smelling like a delicious sirloin? <laughs> or like, they could name them the scents, like you know, ribeye. That would or be like, hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that reminds me. I, like, have you seen the trend on TikTok that you're like, I want to look like a glazed donut? Like, my sister sent me a oh. video of herself the other day post-facial, and she was like, I look like a glazed donut, and I love it. If you want to look like a glazed donut, like, beef tallow is, like, what will do that to we you. We should start one that's like, I look like a 
prime age, you know, 50 day age prime <laughs> ribeye steak. <laughs> That's because of my beef tallow. You know what? That might just like pop off because I feel like one of the reasons this has popped off on TikTok is because TikTok loves to be like outrageous. And I feel like even as silly as it sounds to like us that like obviously love animal protein, like what is more outrageous to people than like I put beef fat on my face? It's interesting you said that because I was talking to someone at the podcasting conference yesterday and they actually they were users of Good Ranchers. Shout out to one of our other supporters. It was so funny. But she was like, meat is having its moment. And I was like, have you listened to our podcast? Like that is exactly <laughs> what we're saying. I was just so in tune with this, this lady was- at this conference in Austin. I was like, it was it was a really cool moment. I was talking with someone else, but I was overhearing like eavesdropping on yours. And I heard her say like beef is having or meat is having its moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got really excited even from like across the room. I think I gave like a 12 on a 10 scale reaction and I probably should have like <laughs> held my emotions in a little bit more, but it was just really cool. Cause obviously we were uh, outliers at the conference oh, for sure for being in ag and food in the Western industry. And so to have someone there attending uh, like, order good ranchers. She talks about how she's like not full carnivore, but was like kind of like a very high protein animal diet. It was just really, really cool. And I agree. Like I do think back to the original where this conversation started, I'm not surprised that beef tallow is actually popping off on social media right now as a product. One of the other cool things is that we have such a narrative in uh, society right now around sustainability. And I'm like, again, this is like using every part. Like if we are going to be, you know, consuming animals for food, why are we not using every part of the animal we can for other things? Yeah, I also read about this in Glamour. Glamour had an article about it and I think it was terrible. Uh, One of the doctors there was like, we really need to do further clinical research on this unknown product. And it was just so, I don't know. She mentioned how it was not FDA approved. It was just like, are you kidding me? It's so funny because people, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. People love to be like, well, it's FDA supported. They're like, we don't believe in the government and we don't, (laughs) we don't trust the FDA. And they're like, they jump on you for saying it's FDA supported. And now they want to be like, it's not FDA approved. And it's like, I don't know what to do to make you guys happy. Obviously, we love and support uh, this movement. Um, and I just want to share with you guys that it can be used for a lot of different things. We talked about it as a moisturizer, but people have been using it to help with acne. Um, eczema is a really big one. I see highlighted so many different times. So if you struggle with that, maybe look into it. They've talked about it for smoothing wrinkles. So maybe you're anti-aging, wounds, burns, so many different things. So if you are looking you know, to maybe support the ag and food industry or like the idea of using an animal-based product, you guys should definitely look into tallow. I'll agree. I'll second that. And if you're like sensitive to different ingredients in products, like beef tallow, like we said, one ingredient, Mm -hmm. uh, you can even find it without the essential oil. So like what is more simple than that? So give it a try if you haven't. Let us know what you think. Let us know where you're getting it. All right. Enough about tallow. Let's move on to our second article titled Ultra Processing, the Solution for Safer, Greener, and More Nutritious Food? As criticism around ultra-processed food builds, a panel of nutritionists and food engineers argue the practice has huge potential in producing safer and environmentally sustainable nutrition to the masses. So I think this article to kind of, I don't know, summarize a little bit, some groups of people saying ultra-processed food is linked to increased health risk and is less sustainable because of all the processing it has to go through. And another group of researchers, scientists saying, no, ultra-processed foods are really healthy, they're great, and they're also more sustainable. And it's going through this article is just kind of this, like, I feel like back and forth between the two. Um, 
I was going to say, I thought it was actually kind of hard to follow and confusing. Normally you read an article in society. I mean, that's just our culture the way it is. It's very like one-sided yeah. point of view, which I thought it was refreshing to see one that kind of was highlighting both sides. But it was like, I just was reading about how it's terrible. And now you're telling me, like, I don't know. It was like hard for my brain to like kind of go back and forth, I think, in some of the instances. So one of the things I think that's worth noting with this is lots of foods are processed, quote unquote. It's, you know, if you boil a potato, that's processing your food. If you cook your meat, that's processing. So this word ultra processed is like going kind of like beyond that, I guess. My mind before I read this article, I like, let's talk about a potato. Like a potato is a potato. Then you process it by like boiling it. But ultra processed to me would be like turning it into a tater tot. So I do think that's one of the problems is that, again, there's like lack of definition or even if there is, there's confusion between maybe the people growing it, the people consuming it, the people marketing it. <laughs> like everyone has a different opinion of what like processed versus unprocessed food versus highly processed food versus uh, there was even one more in there. I was like, there are so many Words. different levels. Like I think there was like four or five rankings of processing. Um, and I feel like people don't know where the lines are drawn and they start yeah. using the words differently. Like I think some people are talking about highly processed and they'll just say processed. As you mentioned, you're like, no, 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 no. That's completely different. Like baby carrots are processed, you know, like yeah. that, uh, tomatoes into tomato paste is processed. Like, so I think that's actually a really big problem at the core of all of this discussion around this is that we don't have clear definitions. And if we do, no one is like following the same ones. I agree. And I will say, processing in my mind, like reading this, it has tons of benefits, like simple pro and is needed. Like they talk about like, we have to get food to the masses. And I was like, glad they addressed that. I think the reason we ended up with processing food, like there's been so many videos going around about like raw milk and pasteurization and why we started pasteurizing. And this article kind of got into that. It's like, well, you no longer were on your farm where you were getting your milk that day. You were drinking it within 24 to 48 hours. And then you were getting fresh milk the very next day. When people moved to cities, that was no longer the case. So whether it was milk or, you know, whatever, your steaks, your cheeses, your vegetables, you had to figure out a way to get food to the cities, have it last long enough for it to travel there, and then last long enough in people's, like, pantries. You know the other really great thing about processing? Food waste. And I was like waiting. I was like, how many times will Natalie say food waste during this article? But yeah, it reduces food waste. Yeah. If a product lasts longer, you're less likely to throw it out. I think one of the things too is that like processing foods can make it healthier in some ways. Like I was reading about the tomato paste. You brought that up. And like by crushing the tomatoes, you can have more like bioavailable nutrients by like breaking down, you know, the skin or whatever. So like processing, I really think it has its benefits. This article, one of the parts of it I didn't like was it got into ultra processed being some ultra processed being healthier and better for the environment. And the example was margarine. And they were like, margarine has a lower carbon footprint than butter. And that point in this article, like, obviously they were coming after butter. So I'm like, not going to be happy about it, but I'm like, margarine doesn't have any nutritional value. Butter is the byproduct of also making like buttermilk. So like, you can't just compare them. I don't know how straightforward is that. Tara got in her dairy plug, everyone. Oh, here it is. <laughs> I don't think I did one in the last one. I didn't say dairy not one time in the last article. Oh, dang it. I was on such a roll. I think it's just a whole, I just think it's the episode. I don't think we need oh, okay. to hear dairy three times throughout the episode. <laughs> a little bit much, Tara. Okay. Calm your cowboy hat. All right. Okay. Um, but no, I just like, so I kind of like, I was like, yes, processing is needed. We need processing to get 
food safely to people and it can make it more nutritious. There's so many benefits, but I am not personally of the camp. I don't think you can convince me that like a tater tot is better than a potato to go back to the potato example or that margarine is better than butter. But you and I very much are like a whole foods diet. Like that's what we choose to feed our family. We obviously stand on food choice. So we stand for you feeding your family what works for your family. Um, so yeah, I would agree. Like I would rather feed my family, you know, the, the potato in a form than buying it in the process form of the, the tater top. But I think, I don't know, for some reason I've been going like big picture issues with this article. And I feel like in society, we have gotten to a place where we have to be in these boxes. It's like you are either team unprocessed or you're team processed. And there is nowhere in between. You are either team conventional agriculture or you're team regenerative. And there is nowhere in between. And I'm like, you guys, like the beauty is kind of in the middle, in the gray area. Like that's where actually the balance is to, you know, when it comes to 330 million people, which is just our nation, we're not even talking globally. Uh, the balance is in the middle, right? One of the quotes I actually pulled from this article was that ultra-processed foods are essential to transition to a sustainable food system. And I was like, who says? Who says switching our entire food system to an ultra-processed foods, like like on the more extreme end of ultra-processing, means it's going to be more environmentally sustainable and healthier? Like, I just... Well, they're really probably disagreed with that. I mean, they're probably coming from like a land use stat about how like we could make all that food in, I guess... Factory then? Is that what they're talking about? No, because I mean, you still have to like grow the food on the land and then take it to the factory, then like process it. Like, I don't know. I, don't I didn't know. get it. Why did they thought that? But it goes back to like one of the things in this article, bringing up milk again. They brought up milk a lot in this article, so don't at me. It's she's, not my milk. She's trying to make up for not talking about it in the first article, you guys. So we're just getting a dairy overload. <laughs> but they were talking about like getting, um, they use powdered milk or like getting baby formula to like sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Like there are benefits to having processed Absolutely. foods. Which so is, it is. It's in the middle. Like yeah. we can't, we, I'm not a proponent for transitioning to old, an extremely ultra processed food diet to be quote unquote sustainable. And I think that it's not always realistic to have all whole foods all the time for everyone. So one of the interesting little tangents. I ended up researching this. I ended up on the AHA website, the American Heart Association website. Ooh, that one's and always guess like, interesting. who was quoted on there as our dear friend, um, the Dean of Tufts University. Oh. And get this, you guys. He said, the basic problem with ultra processed foods is that some have not been designed with health in mind. I was like, is this coming from the man who was out there uh, ranking plate. cereals higher than beef. Like I was in the twilight zone reading his statements. He went on to talk about a when such factors are the goal. Cause he talked about how manufacturers prefer to make taste, cost, safety, shelf life, and malfeel the priority. When such factors are the goal, thousands of trace nutrients get stripped out and additives and emulsifiers and stabilizers were tossed in. Wow. That's like the pot calling the kettle black. Like, hello. Have you seen your own research your university put out that like potato chips ranked higher than a steak? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's <clears throat> the world we live in, y'all. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm wearing cowboy hat. I said, y'all, I am just full Texas now. <laughs> Western. Here oh. I come. I'm going to be riding a horse this summer at your ranch. Just watch out. So again, I guess going back to the article, I thought it brought up some interesting viewpoints just about the differences, but I'm just a middle of the lane gal on this one. I just see the need for both and there are pros and cons to both. And so many people want to latch their ideologies onto just like the pros of one and argue those till the end of the day. And it's like, you have to weigh kind of big picture. And I think we've really lost touch from that as a society. 
Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, Okay, moving on to our third article. But before we do, we want to remind you guys about our giveaway. Every single month, we give away a gift bag to one of our listeners who shares us to their stories, leaves us a review. Uh, Make sure you tag us in all of those. We, like, curate this gift bag with a lot of our favorite things. You know, maybe this month we need to add some, like, tallow. Oh, that would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. So make sure, yeah, totally. Make sure you shout us out. We really appreciate them. I feel like Natalie and I this weekend, we're going through our reviews and we just, I mix our day. We love to see them. So keep those coming in and we will be picking our May winner at the end of the month. All right. Our last and final article for you guys this week that you need to know is title 37 Missouri Smithfield sow farms may be closing this month. Pork industry giant Smithfield foods may be shuttering. Oh (laughs) yeah. Shuttering. There must be a typo in there. I copy and paste these from the articles. Okay, trying to defend yourself. Well, I think it's just supposed to be shutting 37 of their sow farms. It could be shuttering. Go ahead. Sorry. Shuttering? I don't know. Just move on. (laughs) 37 of their sow farms in northern Missouri this month. The developing news was released recently uh, from an unnamed Smithfield employee stating that the company announced that they're shuttering sow farms in Putnam and Mercer counties. It must be a word. It's a word. It's a word, you guys. Today (laughs) we're bringing, yeah, every day on Discover Ag. (laughs) Okay, let me give a little history. Are you done with the longest title in the history of article titles? Um, Let me give a little bit of backstory on this. So reportedly, because nobody knows exact, I guess, numbers, but reportedly Smithfield owns 132 farms and they contract 109 farms in Missouri. Uh, They lease some farms. They have eight feed mills and a pork processing plant all within Missouri. Also relevant to this conversation, in 2013, Smithfield was bought by a Chinese firm firm for just under $5 billion. So Smithfield, I feel like, is always... It makes headlines a lot because of its ties to China. goes back to last week's, you know, foreign ownership. And, yeah, they're closing plants. And I think the reason, the core, it seems like, like they they said, you know, they kind of gave like their PR statement. But high cost of doing business, softer consumer demand. And the thing that I really found was lower exports to China. Mm-hmm. I went down a China rabbit hole, which I don't know if we're like getting in the conspiracy side of things. But- I know. <laughs> I mean, first off, U.S. and China, we're, like everyone knows, we're not on the greatest terms. And we've actually had sitting for a while that high-rise China pig facility plants that they were putting in to it's talk nuts. about um, on Discover. And we just end up choosing other articles instead of it. So I finally read it like full in detail this time. Wow. I mean, it's very interesting. Some of the quotes pulled out of it. I'll get to them in a second. But I mean, China, it seems like they're like ramping up their own pig production, which they have not, like it's new for them to be so focused on the pigs. So China is the largest consumer of pork. They consume half of the world's pork, like Mm -hmm. the entire world. We're not even their largest exporter. The EU is their largest exporter. So they import a ton of pork. So I, this does not come that, I guess, much of a surprise to me that they would be ramping up their own pork facilities. Like why wouldn't they? Like if they're going to come all the way to the United States and buy a company for almost $5 billion, they're going to be trying to bolster their own pork market. And I kind of like did in my mind, I was like, did we not see the writing on the wall that, Mm. that they would be closing United States plants as they open more of their own in their home country. Right. I mean, it makes sense to me. (laughs) One of the quotes that was pulled out from that China article was, um, quote, a country must, this is from some, uh, 
who they interviewed. He said, a country must strengthen its agriculture before making itself a great power. And only a robust agriculture can make the country strong. Ooh, that feels like very doomsday-ish. That mm-hmm. like we have been kind of I feel like we talk about that on this podcast. We need to have a robust ag community in our country that provides for our own country. I say that all the time when people want to like point the finger at industrialized or traditional farming. And I say all the time, like the most important thing we should be worrying about as a US nation is Food security, food security for ourselves. As selfish as that sounds, like I do not want to be an insecure food nation where I have to rely on importation um, from other countries to feed us. I was listening to a podcast the other day that she was talking, she lived in Aruba and she was talking about how when during COVID she was in Aruba and she was absolutely terrified she would not be able to feed their family because Aruba imports so much of their foods. She's like, I did not know if we were going to have food and I did not know what we would do. No one wants to be in that, that place. Another quote he said is that, uh, he warned that China would, quote, fall under others' control if we don't hold our own steady. Oh, my gosh. There are some, like, very crazy. crazy. So, like you said, I just don't think it's that far-fetched to think that um, they would, as they are ramping up and focusing on more pig production in their own nation, which they have – there's reasons they were importing it because they, have like, don't have a lot of land. And they talked about, like, relocating to the bigger cities and, like, obviously some of the same issues that would people would talk about in the U.S., like, just allocation of – uh, resources and different things that have made like pig production hard in their country and much more harder than in the U.S. Um, but as they're like devoting more time, energy, and focus onto growing their industry, they're not going to be importing from elsewhere. And China is actually one of the top importers continually for the U.S. So we would see like when you mentioned, you know, less demand, like the market prices, all those things, like that's going to be swayed by the the importation and change of that from China. Yeah, this is not the first plants and farms are closing. They closed a plant in California in early 2023. They said it was rising costs of doing business in California. They closed it. I also saw that it had to do with Prop 12, which I thought was oh, really sure. interesting because I was like, if I was them and I did have to close plants anywhere, I would be closing my California plants. Like if Prop 12 continues to eke on and they're like with the way policy is in California, those would be my first plans to go to. Like China's not dumb, you guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, my ear. Natalie is getting so heated right now, and we are sitting really close together sharing a mic and my ear on that conversation. Um, Anyway, back to the point. They also closed their flagship processing plant in Smithfield, Virginia in 2021. They are continually, like, closing things. I thought that was so sad. I was like, it was the... I don't think people there were sad. Smithfield is, like, always... No, but that's what I mean. I was like, boy, that was ruthless. They were just, like, cut and pulling the plug. Like, no heritage or history honored there. So speaking of Smithfield being problematic, I guess, is it, it has been in the news a lot for not only being foreign owned, but also they've settled major lawsuits in the mm-hmm. last few years. So last year they settled a lawsuit for $42 million for price fixing. Um, they inflated supposedly the prices for the last 20 years. They settled another suit for $83 million for controlling the supply and the prices. So that... Those lawsuits, though, I'm always so curious. Like, who does the money go to? What actually happened? Like, what are all the details? But I feel like a lot of the packing plants made really splashy headlines during the pandemic for price fixing, for all those things, because they were getting record profits and, like, record high grocery store prices and lowest prices for farmers and ranchers. Um, So that's – I feel like that's not totally new. One thing I did want to mention that I thought was interesting, I Googled Smithfield just and their website popped up and the blurb right under their website name reads American Food Company. Mm -hmm. How do you get away with that? 
I like wonder that. I, I mean, don't know. I know this is like overlap from last week, but like, and I know that the average, I mean, majority of the population, even people in agriculture are probably a little bit unaware of, do you think Smithfield's ownership by China or not? Like how well known do you think that actually is? Oh, I feel like out of all of them, I feel like that one's pretty well known, but yet there's okay. lots of others that are actually, I don't want to get into the Budweiser conversation, <laughs> but it's like adjacent that like Budweiser, you know, has been in the news recently for never heard of him. No, Mm-mm. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, not seen those marketing tactics. And a bunch of their PR stuff came out and was like American. We're an American company and we believe in American values. And they're like a company that's owned by a country in the EU. Yeah. Like, I don't think people, I think Smithfield, maybe people realize, but there's so many food companies that are foreign owned that people have no idea about. And well, I mean, I said on last week's podcast Gotta episode, I just don't have as much of an issue with the Saudi Arabia owning one little farm as I do with uh, Smithfield owning or whatever foreign ownership it is when it's more of a sector of the industry like this example. I mean, Smithfield is the largest pork producer in the United States and it's owned by China. Like, does that not make red flags go up? I read I read in one of the articles that quoted that it is, roughly owns around a fifth of U.S. pork production. Wow. That's like not a joke. No. So when you talk about like fixed price, like price fixing and some of those other things, it's like when they control that much of it, you know. It's going to be a lot easier. I will say one other thing I wanted to bring up because we have obviously been highlighting, um, I feel like, one side of this. Yeah. They did um, pull a quote in one of the articles I was reading from a – they called him a Smithfield leader. Uh, so I don't know exactly his role, um, but he was kind of def- obviously defending Smithfield. Obviously. Yeah. And he was saying, I don't have anybody from China directing what I'm doing. Like I don't view this business as being owned by the Chinese government, which it isn't. There's a lot of conspiracy that they, it is a China food group that owns Smithfield. Yeah. It is not like the government. Um, and so he said, I don't even understand the conversation quite frankly. And so I just wanted to highlight and put that out there that there are Smithfield people saying you know, that they don't feel like uh, there's that, I guess, like control. Chinese hand in the control of the company. I also think it's worth noting that when it sold, when Smithfield sold in 2023, the board unanimously voted to sell it to them. Like not one person was like concerned enough to be like, I don't think we should sell it. So I'd, I feel like that's relevant or at least something to consider. Like I would like to think like the people on those boards were like good people and felt good about the deal they were making. I mean, yes, I'm sure there was money to be made, but I don't know. I guess I'm not that like... I don't know. I think that I'm glad we mentioned that side at the very least. I mean, this was talking about Missouri farms and operations. And so it'll be interesting to see like where other are plants closing and elsewhere, like kind of this, I guess, following the trend of like what Smithfield starts to do. Yeah. The one thing I didn't mention that I think is important that I want to say is that in Missouri, there was actually a ban on foreign owned land in the state and the rule changed to allow Smithfield to purchase. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, but current legislation across the country may affect foreign ownership, as we've been talking about. I mean, we have like three episodes now, I feel like, about foreign ownership that like people don't want foreign owned plants, farms, that kind of thing. And so they were saying like it will, this could have an impact on like further acquisitions of Smithfield buying things. Smithfield may continue to sell or close down things as they're getting pressure. But there was a ban in Missouri and it was changed just for this. That's so interesting to me. I would love to know why it was changed because I think there obviously was major pros. Yes. I would say in this instance, this would be an instance where I'd say probably follow the money. Yeah. Yeah. It was obviously going to, I mean, there must've been, I would imagine like tax thing, you know, 
things for the state that were going to be good, that they were going to mm-hmm. continue to be in business, continue growing, continue having that economy. And you know what's funny is Missouri is not even the largest pork producer. Iowa is. And we yeah. mean, like, haven't even dove into them. So, yeah, so there's lots of other states that this has, like, real implications for. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we made it through another article. Tara made it through another day in her hat. We made it through another sharing mic experience. We gonna, made it. I'm going to wear this hat home on the airplane. You guys be ready if you see me out. I, this is my new look. This is all me. hat, this is all I'm, cattle. <laughs> I, I'm going to be all hat and all cattle. All right, you guys. Thanks so much for listening to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We will see you guys next week.